All right, welcome back for another interview episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Uh, I have Sophia Dagnan on the line, and Sophia, uh, we'll get into your bio and all that in just a second. And I guess this is part of your bio. You have a degree in archaeology, and then you became a copywriter and conversion rate optimization expert. So I'm kind of like you. I didn't get a degree in marketing. I got a degree in psychology and then found this. I know my parallels between psychology and marketing, but you say there's parallels between archaeology and becoming a great copywriter, a great marketer. So what are the, what's the big parallels? What's the lesson? I think they're right. And I'm actually going to start with something really embarrassing. When okay. I went to uni, I had no idea that marketing was like a potential career. It's just the thought had never even occurred to me. It was like something I think I assumed happened because obviously ads exist. But like, no, the thought had never <laughs> crossed my mind. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to be an environmental scientist. So I went in to study geography. And what I loved about that, and that's where the tie-in is coming from, is the research. Whenever yes. you're doing any of that kind of stuff, you get to dig in so deep into completely new topics. You get to talk to ridiculously smart people that you wouldn't normally meet. And you really kind of get to build that nuanced, hopefully, understanding of a world that you just didn't know much about. And I've always, always loved that. But I graduated and, you know, a lot of my buddies went into archaeology. And the thing a lot of people don't know about physically doing archaeology is that it's really tiring on the body. Like you can only do excavations for so long before it starts taking a toll. Like friends of mine in their 20s and 30s were getting surgeries. I was like, so oh, wow. I, don't, I don't fancy that. Like I don't have my shoulder replaced when I'm 33. Thank yeah. you. Uh, but going into the academic world, you kind of have to do some excavation. And also academics coming there comes with its own politics. So I was For like, sure. not interested in that. Not interested in like having all my body parts replaced. So what do I do? What am I good at? I was like, I can write and I can ask questions. Let's see what jobs exist out there where I get to do those things. And so I stumbled into content marketing. It's like, that's interesting. Like people pay you to write words online. Cool. Let's do that. And, you know, I went in with that. I went into social media marketing and then I learned about copywriting. I was like, oh, hang on. Like, this is a lot more research based. Like I get to actually dig into like why people make products, how businesses work. And then we figure out how to sell that in a way that's like cool and helpful and actually helps the person who's buying the thing feel really good. It's like, that's what I want to do. That's great. And the time with archaeology is the research. Like whenever you're excavating a site, you take a step back and you start mapping everything out you're seeing. You're like, okay, so this looks like a pointless rock, but let me like take a picture of it. Now let me let me draw it. Let me put that rock aside, figure out if it's important. And kind of you go layer by layer by layer, looking at everything everybody before you kind of did, because that's what archaeology is. It's like human yeah. activity, like encased in stone. And it's the same with marketing, right? You're looking yeah. at everything that's happened. Every single layer, you kind of, you talk to the team, you talk to the people that made the product, you talk to customers, and you start painting that complete picture of like, hey, this is how this works. And then you figure out how to sell it or record it or whatever. And that is my slightly long-winded story of how I got into this. <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome because like every great copywriter that I talk to has that like curiosity and like wanting to dig a little bit deeper and dig a little bit deeper. And so, yeah, I mean, if you get that from from archaeology if you get that from wherever right or if that's what brought you to archaeology if that brought you to wherever it only makes sense that 
All right, cool. Let's keep using it here. Um, so formal bio time. Sophia Dagnan is the head of customer insights and copy at Get Uplift, a boutique conversion rate optimization consultancy. Get Uplift helps high growth brands like Bitly and Strata connect with their customers' needs and increase conversions. Sophia leads the research and copy team as they go deep and uncover the strategic insights that power growth. All right. Uh, so, Sophia, uh, normally I would just, you know, then ask another question, but uh, I actually have this questionnaire and you filled it out. And I asked about the main topic we'd be talking about to deliver the most value and feature your expertise the best. And most people like in your scenario would say, oh, uh, research in CRL, right? Like, and that's the complete answer that they would give. And, um, you know, clearly a copywriter, <laughs> I, you, you really like invested in this answer. And so I want to read what you wrote because I think it's a excellent and it's a lesson in itself. Increasing, um, sorry, increasing conversions consistently over and over starts with curiosity. To do it long-term, you need to know your product, your customers, and the market they serve better than anyone else does. And then you need to connect all those insights to the wider market trends that affect the way we all act and buy. And you've got to do it again and again and again. Doing this isn't easy, and it takes a lot of learning, listening, and asking questions, analyzing data, building strategic hypotheses, and testing. The emotional targeting methodology, my parentheses, which we'll get to here in a minute, gives you a repeatable structure that helps you get the answers you need to grow time after time. And because it fits into the way you work, you can use it if you're a team of one or a team of a thousand. And so going back to one point that you made very early there is you said increasing conversion starts with curiosity. So we talked a little bit about curiosity. Let's tie this to increasing conversions. What do you mean here? Okay, and for a second there, I was worried because, you know, I think like with any copywriter, I don't remember half the things I write. So it's like, oh no, he's going to read something. I don't even remember if this was good or not, but this was okay. So that's, yeah. a, that's a good starting point. Okay, so what do I mean by starting with curiosity is the key to increasing conversions. It's essentially com increasing conversions is a conversation between you and the customer. You can't, you can't make people do things that they don't want to do. And I think this is the thing yeah. as marketers, we intrinsically understand. Somebody has to be willing to take an action or at least a part of them has to be willing to take that action for them to take it. So we're not, yeah. and this is coming from uh, all the direct uh, copywriters, like response copywriters of the past, it's you can't create demand. What we do yeah. is we use it. And so that's where curiosity comes in. You have to figure out like, what is the actual demand? And when somebody tells you, like, hey, I need X to solve Y. Where curiosity comes in is going, okay, but like, do you actually? If Y is the actual pain that you want to solve, you may believe you need X, but like, let's dig into it. Let's understand exactly what Y looks like for you. And then let's figure out if X is the best solution or maybe there's something else. And it could be a complete kind of different combination. But if we assume that the thing that we have is correct, yeah, we often get it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why people in any market end up just like constantly pursuing whatever is going to fulfill that desire just because they get it wrong and they get it wrong and they get it wrong. And I think that's one of the cool things, both in creating offers and being a copywriter is you get to find the way to connect people's problem or symptoms of a problem to 
the better solution, right? Uh, and and so much of what you focus on is research. Um, so let's let's kind of talk about the the research process for copywriters. Or, I mean, it, it sounds like even though let's see, your it, it says you lead the research and copy team. For me, that feels like a copy chief type role. Maybe that's not exactly what you'd call yourself. Right. But there's some copy chiefing in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but very research driven. So, so talk to me about that process and and what you do um, for your team and at Get Uplift. Okay, so I think that starts with how I actually see copy. And to me, okay. correctly or incorrectly, copy is the icing on the cake. It is the first thing that person sees. It yeah. has to look and feel amazing, but it is the final part that goes on. And so the words themselves are important, but at the same time they're only important in relation to the problem they solve. And we figure out what problem those words solve by doing the research. Okay, but like research is a super, super broad term that can mean absolutely yeah. anything. So what do I mean by that? In this case, research is actually kind of a, I think a three-pronged to four-pronged approach. So okay. number one, we always start with the team and kind of figuring out what whatever company we are looking at or working with, you have this team, right? And this team is usually made up of a lot of different teams. So we usually deal with SaaS. So in SaaS, you have the product team, you have developers, you have sales, you have marketing, you have customer success, you have global leadership on top of all of that. And then you have many teams that support that. And all of these teams have a main goal, right? Like they want yeah. to make the product better and they want to sell more of the product, but they also have individual goals and they're measured against those individual goals, right? And those yeah. goals affect how they perceive the product. And so okay. the first thing is kind of you're doing a bit of triage of figuring out what everyone believes. So when a dev team is working on something, what do they actually believe they're doing? And what do they believe the most important thing the customer is getting here is? Same with customer success, same with sales. And so you're building an internal map of where everybody's kind of alignments and priorities lie. Because then yeah. you get to take all the assumptions and bring into the surface. So you understand so them. Yeah, uh, I, I want to interject here because yeah. being in the software space, I imagine a lot of your companies see themselves as being more like product-led growth versus marketing-led growth. So you're playing a marketing role, but then when you talk about speaking to the dev team about the software that they've developed, you're asking them like for your user, your users had a problem and you were looking to solve that problem. like what's important there versus going to the marketing team or the sales team who just wants to like hit their monthly quota, right? Um, that's an observation, but I don't know what the question is. <laughs> that's a great observation though, because it's kind of, it's yeah. doing that with everyone, right? And yeah. so the thing with product-led growth is product-led growth is great. But yeah. ultimately, a lot of it is also down to size. Most product-led companies will at some point introduce sales-led growth because they have to. Most sales-led companies will at some point introduce product-led growth because they have to. Ultimately, yes. if you want to be successful, you're always going to have that combination of both. And so you have to figure out what product teams believe, and you have to figure out what sales teams believe. And then you're kind of the in-betweener because the great thing about being an outside company is that people are a little less defensive when you're asking them questions because you're just coming yeah. in and your sole role is to kind of solve everybody's problems. You're not taking sides. 
you're not there to fix one specific thing. You're not there to really like take their jobs. Not that anybody <laughs> thinks of that like explicitly, but explicitly, yeah. you know, like you're always a little bit worried, which is completely normal and human. But yeah, yeah. you're there to kind of be a team player. And so you figure out where all those problems are and it gives you a greater clarity. That makes sense. Um, so that starts to that starts to go into um that starts to go into the research, right? So you're getting you're getting insights from all the different teams and it's going into your research. But how is that like informing? Like, like we could almost describe that same process and be trying to solve the business's accounting problems or mm-hmm. describe that same process and, and try to solve whatever other operational problems. So how does this like translate into marketing, copywriting, conversion rate optimization? That is a fantastic question because you're absolutely right. It does. So this is that foundational piece that so often gets missed because when you're hired to do marketing or conversion rate optimization, most of the time, you want to just go and do that. The thing is, what we've realized over the years, I rock it, is that uh, you can't. I mean, you can, but you're going to be missing a really important piece of information that will later yeah. come back and haunt you. So this is foundation building. Then where that comes in is when we move into the really big part of what we all do, which is customer research, right? Okay. This kind of informs some of the questions you're going to ask. So not completely. In a sense, like to kind of take another step back, I like to silo the research bits as much as possible before I introduce them to each other. So you do your team research and you kind of keep that in a box of like, this is what the team believes. This is really good for me to know. And then you dig through the customer research that exists before you kind of start running your original. And you're like, okay, so this is the research that exists. This is what the team believes about the customers based on the research they've done. And then you come in and you're like, okay, so what do I need to know about these customers in order to solve that problem? And we usually have like a list of questions. Everybody has a list of questions that they want to ask. It's like, okay, like what are the biggest pains? Uh, What are the push factors that made them switch to this new solution in the first place? What do they love about it? How do they talk to their friends about it? What do they really hate? Um, How do they feel about competitors? You know, all of that kind of traditional, really important stuff. And so those are the two pieces inform your own piece. And then when you run your own research, so we usually do customer surveys, visitor surveys, and customer interviews. Then you take okay. all these silo pieces and you start bringing them together. It's like, okay, where is the overlap? The team believes this. Like my, the customers are telling me this. Where is the messaging overlap? If there is one, usually when you work with great teams, what the team believes is actually quite closely aligned with what customers are saying. But it just doesn't always appear that way. Yeah, because, that makes sense. Yeah. And so then you use that and then you start using those insights to start figuring out what the copy is. Yeah, because it's it's really easy for us. Like there's the there's the oh, why do you do it this way? Because this is the way we've always done it. Why why is your messaging this way? Because this is what the founder believed, right? Um versus versus what the market is actually saying now. I remember working for a company. Um, not being too specific to not, you know, throw anybody under the bus. But I remember working for a company where uh, the founder really created a vision and it was a very effective vision because it came out of being somebody in that market and like speaking to the customers every day. But then the founder went off and became this millionaire and became really successful and 
all of that and their vision, the longer that they were in it, like they were kind of tunnel vision on their life and they were a bit disconnected from the customers, you know, five, 10 years later. And so there's, I think there's always room for, for, I really like this idea of siloing and keeping the research separate early to say, okay, what do we, what message do we have over here? What message do we have over here? And then is that independent third party, it's easier. You're not emotionally caught up in whatever they, they believe. Um, speaking of emotion though, like this, this all seems like the logical research process, right? You have a CRO program that's based on what you call emotional targeting. And I think that for me, like that was one of most, my most exciting bits about having you on the show. Mm -hmm. Like what does emotional targeting look like? What does the CRO program that's using emotional targeting look like? Okay, so it's really interesting that you say that this is the logical part, because to me, this is just the iteration of the emotional part. The reason okay. we spend so much time, and you know, and here's why. The reason we spend so much time digging into what the team believes is because that's our feelings, right? Yeah. And so we're taking all these belief systems, all these feelings, and we're making them explicit somewhere. And it's the same with the customers. We're going, hey, you know, like, how do you, when you ask somebody how they describe a product or a friend, they're going to make that description from an emotional place. And it's why we yeah. ask that specific question. But it's not like, how would you describe it to your boss, uh, which is a completely different thing. It's yes. trying to get them to think in conversational terms. And so all you're doing in when talking to customers is figuring out, okay, like, how are they feeling? And here's a really cool thing about B2B products. I think B2C products are also incredibly cool. They just want to slightly different emotional uh, gamut. But when you're buying B2B, you essentially, like every product you buy, if you're a decision maker, is tied to your career. Because yeah. ultimately, when you introduce a new thing, that reflects on you. Let's say I want to bring in like a new project management software. Um, yeah. If my team hates it, I'm kind of done with trust <laughs> from them for a little bit. Like I'm absolutely done. You introduce yeah. something that they're like, yeah, we're not going to use that. Um, you're stuck. So yeah. every time like a B2B person is looking to bring whatever software it is, it's like, okay, well, my team like it. Um, that's great. Uh, will my boss like it though? What about all the other decision makers kind of to the side of me that also impact my career growth? Like, would they think this yeah. is a good product? Will that bring them the results they want? And so you're in that completely emotional loop state of, if this doesn't work out, like, my job is in the line, which means my rent is yeah. in the line and food and all of those important to live things. And so how we bring that with emotional targeting is we're trying to figure out what those emotions are. Like if you feel your job is on the line, right? What does that feel like for you specifically? And we map out that journey because it all comes down to risk, right? It's whenever you sell any product, you're trying to reduce risk for the customer. And so yeah. you have to understand what that risk is that risk is emotional yeah so like it's it, it's it's all the emotions tied up to to static like career status right and so is making this decision no matter how how interesting or compelling the feature set is or whatever is making this decision a risk to my career status um okay so so all right. I think fair enough. Like the, the, the logical part seemed like maybe the research process is very logical, but 
at the same time, it's logic to uncover the emotional experience of the customers. Uh, so, so then how does that, how does that translate into like you're coming into a company and you're tasked with increasing conversions, increasing trials or installs or, uh, you know, whatever their, their metric is. Right. Um, how does that translate into like a CRO program, conversion rate optimization, um, based, based on what you're, what you're saying, like you're, you're given their, their website, their landing pages, their ad campaigns, um, and you have to test something. Yeah. Okay. Talk about that. And this is where the kind of, I mentioned earlier that it's all about bringing those pieces together. And this yes. is where that comes in. So we bring everything together in something that we call like a messaging doc. But this okay. is a living messaging doc, right? This is something that the team should constantly be using and updating and adding comments to. And it usually lives in Google Docs. And that's because whenever you hand someone like a voice guide or messaging doc that looks too pretty, that thing dies. Like nobody ever reads it or opens it again after the presentation where you handed it to them. Like a yeah. messaging doc, kind of like with that founder example you mentioned earlier, like a messaging doc has to grow with you and with your market understanding. Otherwise it's pointless. And so, okay, I'm using messaging doc as a term, but what does that actually mean? So it starts by outlining the research a little bit. So anybody reading and just like, okay, so this research happened. It happened because of X. They were trying to achieve Y. You know, you give them good context as to what he actually did. And then what we do, kind of the magic section of the doc, is you take all that messaging and you apply it to pre-trial users. So what is everything that anybody, and this is for SaaS, but obviously it works for everything, right? You just yeah. use slightly different terms. So for SaaS, pre-trial users. So you outline their pains. It's like, okay, so people switch because they had this problem, this problem, and this problem. And then you add quotes to that. So whoever's reading can just instantly understand the exact emotional language that people use. And you do that for absolutely every stage. So you have pre-trial, you have in-trial, you have post-trial. You usually have a lot of other kind of mini in-between stages that are just going to depend on your company. And so you're kind of breaking every element that you'll be fixing is tied to one of those things. And so okay. from there, we have that doc. We're like, okay. But how do we use that to so, upgrade a landing page? So, so the statement, the statement at each, at each, or under each category, is like a a statement of like um, internal monologue, like how they think about it, how they feel about it. Like it's a, it's kind of a reaction to where they're at and where they're going. Kind of. It's okay. So it varies company to company. And you know what? I wasn't very clear with that explanation. So let me try to actually get clearer here. So okay. the statement is statement of pains. So let's okay. say if I am, in fact, switching to project management software, and we've done a lot of work with a client on that. So that's why it's top of mind for me. So yeah. I'm switching. The thing I would have in the pre trial state of that doc is I'll outline a little bit about the process. So okay. one thing we know about the process of that is that. People make a lot of checklists. When you're switching a software that needs specific features, whoever's doing the research would usually go to the team and be like, hey, what do you need? Like, what must you have above everything else? And so they come to the research process prepared with that checklist. And they're kind of going, okay, so this meets this and this and this. And in order for the product to actually get into the trial phase, 
like where we even have a fighting chance to actually convert them, we have to yeah. meet that checklist first. And so by knowing that, whenever you're creating a landing page, it lets you speak to that. You can be like, oh, hey, I know you're comparing these particular features. Here's a super easy way for you to compare features on this page. Yes. And so, yeah, you can, did that explain it a little bit better? Yeah, I think so. So, so you're just looking for, for like, um, oh, well, here, here's, here's a different term that I use. Um, buying criteria, right? If somebody, if somebody is looking for a specific solution, they have, they have a series of buying criteria and at each stage, there's kind of a set of decision-making criteria that it's, it's, I have this problem. Here's what the solution is or what I think the solution is. And if it has that, then check, right? Um, and and so you're just trying to capture all of that in in this one document and make it available. Is that fair enough? Kind of. I think that is absolutely yeah. one of the things that goes in there. Yes. Okay. Um, cool. As well as just like essentially, we're trying to capture all of the decision making points, kind of like you just said, the buying yeah. criteria, one decision making point. Um, there's like other different decision making points that just vary on the product. Yeah. But we're trying to kind of capture all of those steps so that when you are optimizing a landing page, let's say for the top of the funnel, let's say I want to get people into a free trial by having this messaging doc on one side, I can be like, okay, so for somebody to want to convert to a free trial, they have to know X, Y, and Z, and they have to feel that my product can do a particular thing. And so this doc helps me show exactly what they're expecting. So then I can meet that on the landing page. And usually when you just combine those two things, your conversions will get better. Usually but when those you do are that, really hard things to combine. Yeah, easy no, peasy. No. Yeah, no, I, I get it because it, there's there's a parallel in the more consumer-oriented direct response. Um, a term that I use is called sequence of beliefs. And so um, what is the, the or, or other people call it, what is it? Um, sequence of agreements, I think was another term that I've heard. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, what are the things that I have to agree with in what order, in order for me to make the buying decision, right? Um, and so for for like uh, just a completely different industry, completely different type of copy, a, a, a single stock promo for an investment publisher is like, okay, I have to believe that there's this like fascinating new technology that's set to transform a market. And I have to believe that um, there's a company behind that technology that's investable. And I have to believe that this person who's speaking to me about this company knows enough about the industry and investments that I'm going to be able to follow their advice. And then um, that they have, and it's the series of things that I have to believe to be true. And really good copywriters will essentially do what you explain. They'll say, okay, here's the sequence of beliefs that I have to address. And then here's my copy and the sections of the copy are going to have to, to go through that. Um, nailed it. Like that's basically <laughs> it. And that's what you do for just every stage that the customer goes through. You understand what those beliefs are, whether you call them pains or beliefs or really whatever term makes sense for the, for the team you're working with. Yeah. It's that's what you do. Awesome. So, so then, then you're just able to say, okay, here's this, this landing page. And like, really a lot of times the landing page, if you come up with, with, let's say a dozen things, the landing page may hit eight of them really well. And like two of them. Okay. But the two that are missing could be the, the 
like necessary ingredients to really make that landing page convert really well. Or it could be that something that's number seven in the list needs to be number one. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so as an individual copywriter, like it's kind of easy for me to do this in kind of a makeshift way. And I feel like you've already spoken to this a little bit with this document that you put together. But as the leader of a team, like how are you, how are you doing this in a way that allows any member of your team or the client team to actually make a meaningful difference with, with what they're doing? And so I think that is where the document comes in because the document okay. is exactly like kind of is designed to capture everything that would normally live in a copywriter's head, um, yeah. which is great. But when you're moving to bigger teams, right, you're not just dealing with copy alignment. You're also dealing with a lot of mixed priorities alignment. And this is why documentation makes sense, because what happens is people want to test things. But whenever you want to, let's say, like to your point of 0.7 needs to be moved up to 0.1. You also have to go through a lot of different teams because maybe a specific team owns the way we talk about that particular point. And maybe they want to talk about it in a different way. And so going back to the messaging doc, the messaging doc is also the point where we capture who owns a particular talking point. Because with like with SaaS, the product team will have specific ideas about how we should talk about certain features. And so we make that explicit in a document, which may feel a little bit constrained. But then it gives copywriters, um, writers, and really teams, both on our team and our clients' teams, the freedom to understand what those constraints are so that they can use them creatively. Did that in any way answer your question or did it just go off on like a random tangent? <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's moving the conversation forward here. I, I feel like you know, I just started a client project with a new client and... I'm almost wishing they had one of these documents for me. Like they, they're giving me all of this information and I'm finding all of this information, but like presenting the, the person behind the service, presenting the service itself, like all of these things, they have ways that they do it. And I can like glean all of them by studying what they've done before and by studying all the information, the notes that are put together. But there is beauty in this, in this, like having this single source document of, you know, here are the main points that we always make sure that we cover with this person's background, their backstory, their bio. Here are the main points that we make sure we cover for the product, the product, the offer components, all of that, um, which would be equivalent to like the feature set, right? Um, and it it makes a lot of sense. Um, so Actually, may I may I jump in here? Sorry to interrupt you. Just to kind of build on the point that you just uh, yes. that you just made. So where that comes in really handy for copywriters is yeah. it gives everybody who's giving you feedback on your copy a frame of reference. Because at that point, what you're doing, like you write your page, you're like, okay, so the reason why we made this point first is because in this research outlined here in this document, we all agreed that this was the point that we were going to make on this page. And so it helps frame everything that is coming your way later as a writer, because, you know, you have to, a lot of the time when you get feedback from people with a lot of different priorities, that feedback can be conflicting. And so having the kind of black and white source of truth there for everybody to um, align on just makes yeah. those iterations so much easier. Yeah. And, the, and, and it makes this, this, original source and reference point um, for, for every step of the, the, the writing and production process. 
cool. So, you know, one of the questions here, and all my questions are worded before we're actually like into the conversation, but um, so there's a difference between, let's say the throwing spaghetti or some other S word against the wall and seeing what sticks, um, testing methodology, right? There's a difference between that and starting from something like you're starting from the amount of research that you do. Um, so can you talk me through like, okay, all of this, this research compilation, all of that makes sense. Um, and, and using your metaphor from earlier, we've made the cake, right? We've made, we've made our, made our little layered cake. We've stacked the cake, but now we need to put some icing on the cake, right? We need to actually test things. Um, so talk me through your testing methodology and how all of this research and all of the support translates into, um, you know, your A-B testing. Absolutely. And I kind of want to go back to the spaghetti first. So one of the things that we've noticed working with teams is that it's not quite spaghetti at the wall. Most testing methodologies are best feature practices. So at this point, like, what do you mean most by marketers best are, I'm about to go into that. At this point, okay. like, Let's assume most marketers are actually pretty competent and most marketers do want to get really, really good results. But what they're missing most of the time is a strategy, like an exact idea of what we actually want to test next, why and where that's leading. So even when we have strategy from leadership from other places, that's not really a messaging strategy. A messaging strategy kind of gives you the exact things you should test next. And so what most teams end up doing with a CRO strategy is they test elements. Like they'll take a CTA button and be like, okay, um, if we change the call to action a little bit, maybe that will have a conversion. If we change that headline a little bit, or we change this image, or we kind of uh, move this page around so the copy was on top and the image is at the bottom, is that testing these elements. And what yeah. we do with our strategy when we come in is we look at that big messaging doc and we're like, okay, based on this messaging doc, we've identified the top three problems that customers are trying to solve using your product. Our tests should be built around answering those top three problems. So we want to run like a hero section test. Awesome. This copy should be based around that first problem that we uncovered when people land on this particular page. And so everything around it, like what the CTA is, what the copy is, what the design is, should be around that problem. And that's where those emotions come in because you also talk to people about what they prefer, right? And one of the mm-hmm. kind of big conversion triggers is helping people see themselves on the page. And so when we think about design and imagery, we're like, okay, that person has that problem. How can we help them visualize that? And so you're always testing from that place of, How do we solve this one problem or one to three problems or however many that this person has? And that's really the difference. It's not elements and hoping. It's this is the problem we're solving. Let's use every test to keep solving that problem better than the test before. Okay, so it's it's a. It follows a testing rule that I've taught for a long time, which is like test big changes, right? You're going to eventually in conversion rate optimization, like when you're dealing with scale, when you're dealing with a lot of volume, tweaking the CTA buttons, okay, yeah, that might get you an advantage that matters at at large budgets, right? 
Um, but early on in any testing, I mean, the way that you're going to get a big increase is saying, okay, instead of instead of you know, here's why our development team is so awesome and they create awesome products and you should buy their awesome product. It's uh, you, if you have this challenge, like our software is built specifically to, to solve that challenge. And here's all the features that we know that people like you are asking for, right? Like, like testing a big change like that. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Um, and, and then maybe later, you know, that's scaling. Let's, let's test CTA buttons because we have already identified this is the problem. Or now when you say three problems or one problem, are you sometimes going in and saying, okay, one of our first tests that we need to figure out is which one of these three problems is the one that people are going to respond to most? Or I'm just curious here, digging mm -hmm. in a little bit. No, I love that. So it usually depends on what page you're testing on, right? So let's say the homepage is a wonderful page because everybody goes there and it has a gazillion different jobs. And so let's start <laughs> there because, you know, why make this conversation easy? So let's say like we're testing on the homepage. Any test okay. you run has to appeal to existing customers who are coming in to just randomly browse your site and do other stuff. It has to appeal to people that may know about you or may not know about you, first-time visitors. Um, it also has to appeal to like decision makers from other companies, your competition in a sense, because they're also absolutely checking out your homepage. So you want them to feel a little bit like not threatened, but like impressed yeah. by how awesome you are. So you have so many competing interests. And so, okay, what problem do you test there? And the problem we start with for that will be the, just the number one thing that your software or like your thing actually solves because every product yeah. solves like a top problem. It does a bunch of other stuff, but we identify that top problem and your copy should just be very clean and upright, like upright, upfront about it. <laughs> like, hey, this is the problem we solve. And then the you know, upright copywriters brigade. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess to some degree you're you're kind of getting into the answer to the next question here, but um as as like a direct response copywriter that often writes copy that might be called funnel copy, whatever the whatever the version is, like my job is in many ways super easy because it's like I know what ad people clicked to get to this page. And I know exactly this page needs to get them to the point where they click this next CTA and that CTA needs to get them or, or the pages that go there needs to get them to, I don't know, maybe that that's actually the order page. Right. And so um, like everything is so simplified because the job of the pages that people are visiting because there is the job. Right. Um, but oftentimes in like a, a, a SaaS site, there's a lot more, like you said, there's a bunch of jobs going on. And so conversion copywriting is important. And like on the homepage, conversions are important, right? But the homepage is playing these different roles. There's educational writing, there's there's brand writing, there's uh, your team and the client team and all of that. Like everybody wants to contribute different uh, different bits of value. We'll call it yes. bits of value <laughs> on the homepage. So like, how, how do you manage those competing jobs and how do you balance those uh, while still doing your job in Sierra? And that's where I think, and I keep harping on about this, but that's where the messaging doc and the strategy comes in. 
Because when you've aligned at the start against, hey, like, this is the one thing we're trying to test. It's much easier to just keep bringing everybody onto that. So yeah, you will get a lot of, uh, not conflicting feedback, but feedback that is designed to do different jobs than the one you're necessarily trying to do. And so one way to go is that you look at each piece of feedback and you're like, okay, this is great. And this will really serve us for test X. And so you kind of direct to where this particular kind of idea would work really well, because they usually do. Like most ideas you're going to get do actually serve the funnel in some fantastic way. They just don't always serve the funnel you're working on. So (laughs) that's why you just, you direct, you're like, this is great. We chose this particular thing for this page based on this research that we did. But your idea, like, let's test it on this part. And then you give them a reason as to why that would work. And most of the time, that kind of helps everyone align to the strategy. Yeah, that makes sense. So so, so in some ways, this entire research process up front, especially the the part of it where you're working with the team, you're getting buy-in of like, what are the most important jobs of the different pieces, right? And yep. so when they say, I want to be featured on the homepage, and you're like, well, we agreed up front, and it's here in this document that we all talked about. We agreed up front that the homepage, like the most important job was this, right? Um, and so then you can say the most important job of the homepage is to get trial signups or, you know, whatever whatever that conversion event is. Exactly. Like it's so, you nailed it. It's so important to agree on that thing because people just forget. Like the one thing, I think a lot of these conversations, especially around key pages, end up frustrating copywriters because like you're told one thing, you write the page that answers that thing, but then the thing has changed and nobody told you. And so you're getting feedback that completely clashes with what you know. And so that's why having that strategy is just constantly, constantly reiterated. Like we're doing this because we all agreed on this particular point just helps keep everybody's stress levels down. Because most of the time people give you conflicting feedback, not because they want to make your life harder, but because they've forgotten the conversation you had because they've had 50 other conversations since that one happened. Yeah, that's totally true. Totally aligns with my my experience here. Um, I want to give folks an opportunity to learn more from you if they're interested in Get Uplift and what you do there. There's like one really good place for them to go, right? It's your conversion corner newsletter. And that yes. starts joining the newsletter starts with a five day free course on emotional marketing uh, alongside a comprehensive guide to writing landing pages that convert. So tell me who's going to benefit from signing up for this and tell me more about what they're going to get in those different components. I think I want to avoid the thing of like, well, everybody, obviously, it's so great. But I think you get the most out of it is if you're interested in the CRO space and if you're interested in working with e-com or with SaaS. I think if you're in other spaces, it can also be helpful. But so much of what we share is just based on our experience with e-com and SaaS that I think that's where we bring the biggest value. But if you want to know how to use kind of emotional triggers, and one of the things that you get as part of this course is uh, like, a giant list of different psychological triggers that you can use inside copywriting. If you want to know how these things kind of affect your writing, how they affect just your life in general as well, because most of these things kind of apply to everything, right? If you have conversations with humans, we're all yeah. using these psychological triggers in one way or another, right? Yes. 
Absolutely. So basically, yeah, if you want to human better, but particularly in SaaS and ecom, this can really help you. Oh, that's that is so excellent. So uh rather than trying to read out a complex URL or anything like that, I'll just say check the first link in the description. Uh I always make it the first link, right? Uh, sign up for the Conversion Corner newsletter. Check it out. You know, you can learn to human better, particularly in SaaS and <laughs> and and maybe increase some conversions, some leads, some customers, some sales, some profits, all that. Hey, good that stuff. good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll you'll get that at the first link in the description and the the headline, at least the current headline. Maybe I'm in the middle of the test. Increase your conversions in just three minutes a week. So it's just very focused on helping you out. Um, and, and check the first link in the description for that. Sophia, thank you so much for being on Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I had a lot of fun and think that there was a ton of value to get out of this. Thank you for having me. It was so awesome getting to know you and getting to have this conversation. Yeah, you too. And, and, uh, tell your, your cat Rocket, thanks for joining us for, for a little bit here. <laughs> for those I who like are listening. Here. <laughs> yeah. For those who are listening, that was the, uh, high rocket that, uh, came through on the recording. Um, yeah, so, and for all my listeners, viewers, however you're engaging with this, as always, I'd love to know like one big takeaway, one big action item, one big aha moment. You can leave a comment with this episode and let me know what that was and how you're going to be taking action on this. Because obviously, like, why listen to this if you're not going to put it to use, right? Um, I'm Roy Fur. This is Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Sophia, thanks again. Listeners, thanks again, everybody. And I will see you in the next episode. See you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.